Hello everyone and welcome to the D&D Brief from the RP Geeks. This, if you don't know what we're doing here, is a sort of science chat show. Um, every other week we have a Dungeons and Dragons adventure in space. And following that on the D&D Brief, we chat about some of the science that came up. Um, my name is Sharmini, I use she, her pronouns, um, and I play a very cool sorcerer uh, on the show, um, Ali. Hi. Um, yes, I'm the DM. Uh, just terrified by the bear, or at least knowing that the bear is behind the gif. What bear? Um, what bear? Yes, you're right. Mm, the tension is no unbearable because there is no bear. It is. <laughs> it is. I can't believe I messed that up so soon. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm, so I'm, I'm the podcast DM. listeners are going to be so confused. Right? <laughs> <laughs> there is a bear behind Ali in his office. <laughs> there might be a bear. Uh, I'm the DM. I also do science videos and podcasts and things like that is what i meant to say at the start that's simon that's good that's good uh hello i'm simon i am uh playing the character uriel who uses uh sorry i i got my my life <laughs> and uriel's life so crossed over them <laughs> i'm simon i use he him pronouns and my character doesn't mostly do that uh it is uh, they are a uh a dwarf monk uh and uh yeah, that's that 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 that. I'm getting very confused right now because I've had a lot on my mind. I'm trying to, <laughs> I'm trying to deal with the stream, which is a very different setup to what we've normally done before. So yeah, you may notice we are we are one fewer than than usual this week. Um, oh, my name's Emily. <laughs> I like Brandon Hi, Fraser. Where's this man behind me? <laughs> oh uh, shit! It's on a pair. Oh my god. <laughs> The real Emily Bates will maybe be, be making a late uh, appearance later on, but she's been doing some very important sad work today, um, which uh, we hope has gone very well. Um, but, but can we say what she's doing, roughly? We don't know. We just she just keeps saying she's so boat. mysterious. It's very mysterious. I know. I'm very excited about. She's it. doing the life aquatic with Emily Bates. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is my head cannon for what is going on today. Wait and see. See, like eventually, presumably, it'll appear on Twitter, and we'll we'll all know what Emily Bates has been doing today on a boat. Holy shit! What bear? She's on water. It's a polar bear. No, it's a tardigrade. It's a water bear. <laughs> no, the tardigrades. They're back. We are big fans. We are big fans of tardigrades on this. God, Ali looks so small. Ali. He looks Ali. like a borrower. Ali is I'm in the drunk. Zoom background. You're, you are well done, Ali. Okay, I guess what we've established is that uh, Emily was the glue that held our sanity together. And as as a single thread has been no, pulled from no. the tapestry of our I have control of this situation. Right. Enough, enough of this. I'm going to make sure everyone knows what happened on the last Dungeons and Dragons of Science adventure episode so that we have some context, context for our chat today. If I can remember. Um, oh, uh, like, okay, just put your fingers in your ears for like 10 seconds if you don't want the spoilers for the oh. last episode. Um, not you. Um, there was like a zombie and then like the zombies came to get us and then there was like a fight. Um, and then Infinity was like fog cloud and then Tenebris was like, go away. And then uh, like Uriel was like, kapow. That's what Uriel and does. I punched him in the dick so hard he fell over. Oh no, that's, yeah, yeah. You punched him into unconsciousness. And then there was some, there was some just like normal guards there who were just like, <laughs> they didn't seem to mind. They were so nonplussed. Happening in the like, middle yeah, of the compound. All the time, you know. And then the gang went to a motel and met some fascinating life, but insect and otherwise. And it was it was lovely, and that was my favourite part. Um, but I won't go into too much detail because you should you should catch up on the show. Which um, you can do on our podcast or yeah. on uh, our YouTube channel. Yes, and um, we're RP Geeks D and D everywhere. So search us. Um, and if you can't find anything, go to Search harder. They'll have links. <laughs> <laughs> if a new episode hasn't come out by the time you listen to this, wait longer. <laughs> this one will also be on YouTube in a couple of days, so you can catch up on this. You might be doing that now. This might be in the future, right now. I've lost well, no. it. I've if, lost if, it. Someone is, if someone who is not watching this live is watching it, definitely yeah. it is always going to be in the future. Yeah. Yeah. It's like saying, oh, this is a picture of me when I was younger. Like Every picture of you is a picture of you when you're younger. Unless it was you in the future. Well, but how, how did you take the picture? Well, you travelled back in time. And gave yourself I got my picture. mind blown and then instantly reintegrated by Charmony there. I was, <laughs> was disorientating. Obviously. 
Um, so th- 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 there was there was a few ideas that we had f- from last episode for the D&D brief. What kind of science could we kind of pull apart and, and discuss? The idea being that everything that happens in the adventure, even though we're using D&D 5e mechanics, everything has some sort of scientific explanation. And it's sort of somehow based in, on our modern science, but maybe sort of speculating how that could move into the future. Um, and uh, Simon, you had a particular interest uh, this week. Yeah, so um, we'll, we'll see how we go with this. Normally in the D&D brief, we do two topics. Uh, Emily was going away and researching uh, dick punching. Um, and... and whether or not it could make you <laughs> unconscious, because that's a crucial part of what happened. Yes. <laughs> Plot, yeah. Um, and uh, I-, I wanted to focus in on her druid power. So what was the power that she cast? Because I'm a- of the group of us, I'm a relative newcomer to D&D. So if somebody wants to pick up that ball, what was the power she cast i'm pretty sure it would have been like a first level fog cloud um i can find uh, I've, I've tried to search and i've searched fig food um, <laughs> <laughs> i'm trying i'm trying first to like search fig food. fog cloud 5e so that's quite you know, juridic to oh, be D&D, but you're a, a 20 chef. foot radius sphere of fog <laughs> centered on a point within range it spreads around corners it makes the area heavily obscured but it can be dispersed by a a wind a moderate or fast wind so that was what she did and she and in context she did it to obscure this zombie fella um like so he, they, they couldn't see where we were and we could make there's a lot scared. of zombie being thrown around here i just want to make it clear that that was never actually stated I mean, there, there's canon. no indication that that thing was a zombie it's because we had anything a drink other than a normal that human. was named after zombies and we were all very suspicious about the uh... drink making people into zombies because it was called zombie porter like I, I think that's a reasonable zombie. link to make so but one of the cardinal rules of a zombie film is you never say the word zombie no. <laughs> so that's it can't like... be a zombie that's like that's that's oh wow it's like yeah. in any Romero film, I think. They never say the word zombie, you want to yeah. say? Yeah, yeah. Not zombie. That feels like a science check waiting to happen. Do they say uh, the word zombie in films? In, in Romero not, films. It's not the most science-y of, of our science checks that we do. <laughs> I wanted an excuse to go away and watch <laughs> nine films. hours of zombie films. <laughs> Is there, I mean, this question has been asked so many times, I'm sure, but do zombies exist? Can they exist? I mean, have you seen like a 9am commuter train? Like, I'm pretty sure zombies exist. Parasites that take over your brain. Just want to say. Cordyceps, cordyceps. Oh, can we just do a whole thing on cordyceps? It's prion disease, one of these things. It's like a pathway for explaining it. I think that just, that makes you crazy. That's really That makes, yeah, that's that's just sort of horror, makes you horrible crazy. But the zombie you get if I eat a human You're right about the, it is a nice... Uh, yes, you can. It, it, that is the one you're thinking of, and it does. It has a, a nice pathway for infection, I suppose. Yeah. But then, anyway. Like, so, oh. Yeah, we're getting sidetracked. No, 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 what we got, wait, no, hang on. Follow the track. Maybe it leads somewhere. Does it lead to fog? <laughs> to the cloud? side? <laughs> yeah, how does this lead to fog? <laughs> what I have the talking about. We've got to get you a sound effect, like the klaxon for the thing. Anything I have is air horns. Have you got multiple kinds? Uh, I, I mean, I can, I can probably put like, I don't know, is is, is the I feel like it needs to be a groan sound effect, more more than anything else. Like Maybe if it's a down. down. I mean, I'm like. We'll be the judge of that, Simon. <laughs> Did Romero invent the word zombie? Twitch chat is asking. I no, find because zombie, zombie is an old. Um, uh, it's a, it's not voodoo. It's, it's either voodoo or Haitian or something or like it. it Z o m b i is an old word for. Yes. A particular kind of uh, uh, something religious. I've completely it was what first it recorded in 1819 in the history of Brazil by the poet Robert Southey in the form Z-O-M-B-I, actually referring to an Afro-Brazilian rebel leader um, and the etymology of his name in a particular language. And the OED says the word originally comes from Central Africa, specifically the Congo, and it is related to Nzambi, meaning God, and Zumbi, meaning fetish. Wow. Did not see that last part coming. No, that was a that was a hockey stick sentence. Gosh. <laughs> yes. Yeah, the hockey stick sentence. Wow, we should definitely look into this. I mean, I just love etymology. This is, this is one of these fields that I find absolutely fascinating. Because mm. like it's when you understand the roots of words, you kind of there's it's it's almost like an extra level of appreciation. It's like understanding how it's one thing to use a house and it's plumbing. It's another thing to understand how the house was plumbed and where the pipes come from. 
Like but, you can you can wash your hands and be like, oh, I really know where this water came from. Isn't that? But nice? also sometimes you'll be looking into the etymology of your word and it'll reveal some really horrific history as to how that word got the way it was. Like your yes. plumbing was originally used to insulate thousands or something, right? And you're well, like, well, plumbing originally here. comes from plumbus for lead. Uh, and because the Romans made their plumbing yes. out of lead and they, they actually used it so widely that it uh, gave uh, Romans really widespread lead poisoning because all their drinking water was just going through it. Um, and apparently they just never thought that, you know, maybe the pipes were the problem. But so, you wouldn't, would you? What if our pipes you... are the problem? Yeah, yeah. What? Oh, God. <clears throat> anyway. Can you get... Well, you, there, is the, there are certain conditions that cause, like, copper to build up. Hey, separate, separate sort of thing, right? Just as a sort of analogy to the pipes Roman thing. So actually, like, at the moment, there's huge amounts of research going into basically, like, the, the most common chemicals that we breathe in, things like pesticides and, you know, air pollution from cars, right? So the exact same thing is sort of happening to us. We are poisoning ourselves with all the stuff that we release into the atmosphere and it's really really bad for us but we're just like yeah probably fine and also it's ubiquitous so there's like really hard to get a control group to compare it against to actually know like the romans with their freaking pipes like the romans also before we move on because we, we probably should move on um <laughs> you mean bait is gonna turn up <laughs> and we still won't have gotten to the to the, yeah, first to the start <laughs> Um, the f the word skull in English, this is one of the cooler etymologies, uh, is originally from like it's like from a Viking root. Originally in Anglo-Saxon, the word that we used to refer to what we now call a skull was brain pan, mm. like a pan that holds your brain, which That's I just think is really a cool. Medical term as well, isn't it? Your brain pan. I thought it's at the bottom of the skull or something. I don't really know. Uh, I don't. I'm looking at the etymology of brain right now, and it appears to come from proto-germanic so it's actually quite old it's like two and a half thousand odd years old jesus some words are seriously old like star um is almost unchanged from proto-indo-european and it originally was the verb to burn associated with an object it's like a burner if you like a star was just mm. a thing that burns that's so awesome you were literally like before because obviously all our kind of like our sort of judeo-christian shizzle is like stars are associated with light aren't they it's light that mm, we follow whereas mm, back then they're like no either. it's about burning stuff and we no, kind of come all the way back around but i guess if you look at if you're in a landscape and it's totally dark apart from a fire that would look like a star in a in a dark sky right like it's a similar thing it's a point of light against darkness um i i don't know i i i find that it connects me somehow to people that live thousands and thousands of years ago by the language we use I just think it's really cool. Is there any, uh, is there any kind of evidence that they thought that those things up there were on fire? Yeah, that's. that's I mean, in the documentary The Lion King, the <laughs> one of the characters does think that, but they are laughed out of town. That's yeah. Or laughed out of the savannah. I mean, um, of burning gas it's always got. I mean, about everything's gas when you're a warthog. I mean, tip what? So, so the certainly the ancient Greek cosmology was that there were concentric spheres, and that the stars were like painted on the spheres, right? Oh, um, that makes sense. Were they uh, pierced I, into the outer layer? If I just made that up. I don't know. Actually, I don't know enough about their cosmology to answer that. I, I just you know wrote that... a whole book called Firmament. Man. Yeah, but it, that's but okay. Fun fact. Uh, <laughs> I didn't so, write that. <laughs> so, no, no, yeah, I ghost wrote it. Um, so. Meteorology was specifically defined as being below the stars. Like you had geology of the earth, meteorology, which was stuff that fell from above, kind of literal meaning of meteorology. And then you had ast astrology that was all the stuff above it. So that was like, there was like a threefold division. So I, I never had to worry about in the book, all of the stuff that took place above, apart from the sun, but like, that's kind of a special exception. Did you worry about clouds? Yes. Oh, there it is. He's a professional. Oh, that was nice. Oh, I liked that. Oh. So, so uh, basically, yeah. So, so it was a fo hang on, fog cloud. Small fog cloud. Fog cloud, which is interesting <laughs> in itself because fog and cloud are exactly the same phenomenon. They're just we give them two different names as opposed to on... mist. Wait, what, what, tell me again. What's the difference between fog and mist? Because I tried to look it up and it seemed actually a lot vaguer than I'd always. Been I told. think it is very. I think fog is basically just dense mist. Yeah. Um, 
I because oh, I'd always heard like oh one comes up and down and one's this and one's that and it's like no people just call them different things and it's because because they're all basically the same phenomenon it's 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 water vapor condensing into droplets and if it's high up it's a cloud if it's low down it's fog basically and, and what conditions well, I was going to ask what what conditions you need to make uh, water vapor uh, like yeah water gas turn into um little little droplets hang on ali ali i got the impression from your tone then that you're going to come up with some absolute gold right now what? yeah no mind. i can't Never no, mind no, no. science questions no, ali no, no. gold that was a great science question family but i get the impression ali's going to do something that's going to throw this completely off the rails no no, I, no, no 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 i wasn't i was going to basically... tie a giant rope to it <laughs> i was going to just ask i was just because no i was just going to say the same thing that shamani was saying which is that's you know, a great can... question, Ali. Yeah. <laughs> so... That's fair. No, that's fair. So, um, <laughs> so how do you make a cloud? Great question, <laughs> Ali. Um, so, I mean, the, the, the thing to remember about uh, clouds is that they are liquid water. Uh, oh, hey, oh, sorry, before I actually go into this any further, Dan V in uh, Twitch chat has an explanation uh, between fog and mist. Uh, fog, you can see less than a kilometre. Mist, you can see more than a kilometre. Surely not. That sounds way too descriptive. I, I reckon there's probably multiple definitions, but that sounds like a... Is that like a UK Met Office definition, Dan V? It could be a nautical one, couldn't it? Possibly. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, let's see what the nautical people have to say about this. The sailors. Let's the go and check out the people. nautical step. Let's <laughs> go and ask the nautical people. <laughs> Emily! <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, so, so clouds and fog and mist are all the same thing. They are all just water droplets that are suspended. It is the mess office! The amazing Dan V. <laughs> um, and uh, like, th there's an important distinction there between water droplets and water vapour. So I have to admit, I still find this quite confusing. Yeah, yeah I tried to look it up and yeah, I didn't but the, believe but your Because like, in my research, I was a, st a stratospheric dynamicist. So I was looking at the layer above our main, you know, the level that we live in in the atmosphere. And one of the defining characteristics about the stratosphere is that there is pretty much no water vapor in it whatsoever. Like you can almost completely ignore moisture um, when, you're, when you're talking about the stratosphere. How, how high up is that? What stratosphere? So, so that's from approximately, because it depends on latitude, uh, approximately 10 kilometers above the surface to about 50 kilometers above the surface. So it's roughly 30% of the mass of the atmosphere, with most of the 70% being below in the troposphere, and about 1% is above the stratosphere. But that's then divided in different levels. Oh, okay. I watched an awesome video by you, Simon, um, of oh, basically that, that have been me. a poster. <laughs> Right. And yep. yeah. And but above that level, am I right in thinking that in the stratosphere, there are some little sort of wispy, cloudy things, but no one really knows anything about it. Yeah. So that's in the mesosphere. That's the next level above. Uh, they're not oh. lucent clouds, um, <clears throat> which are like super thin, super wispy. But because they're super high up, they're often illuminated uh, after the sun has gone below the horizon <gasps> the surface. So in twilight, they're like backlit. So they oh, look really those cool. ones. Yeah. They almost look like an oil slick in the sky. They're, they're really, I've, I've only very rarely seen them, but they're very pretty. What, um, what do we Google to see pictures of the pretty clouds? Uh, noctilucent clouds. Hence the reason <laughs> they're called noctilucent, because they you see them at, when it's sort of nighty, oh, light, night lighty. Night wow, the science yes. is really flowing on this one. <laughs> <laughs> um so um so yeah basically like i'm not used to dealing with water vapor so i had to look the stuff up again even though i did cover it in my degrees um and so the difference between water vapor and, and water being suspended as a liquid is water vapor is water in gaseous form that is for the most part when we talk about it in the atmosphere we're talking about it being less than the boiling point so there's the difference between boy i think the key difference here is actually the difference between boiling and evaporation so boiling is when you take water to 100 degrees at surface level, you know, sea level pressure, um, and you take it to 100 degrees and it converts thermodynamically in a bulk process from liquid to gas. Whereas, and, and then that's called that's gas. boiling, and and, and uh, yeah, and that is still technically called water vapor, but you'd normally call it steam if it's over 100 degrees. Okay. Um, so basically, 
if there is a process that will take place at less than at the boiling point, which is evaporation, which is basically just the selective escape of certain water molecules from a surface where like there is water uh, and air above it or any kind of interface. And the is, really... is that because the difference in like some molecules will randomly have more energy and they will have enough energy to yeah because there's the distribution they will the, the energetic molecules leave and it also results in a cooling effect because you're lowering the average kinetic energy of the remaining molecules so on average so what are those little so what do those little escaped water molecules form so they form a, a tenuous gas so they are tenuous? well because there's just not not very many of them oh. like initially there's not very many but you can get um so this is where you start talking about um absolute humidity so you talk about how much water is actually suspended in the air that can be up to about like 25 30 grams per of water for every cubic meter just suspended in the air so it's actually quite a lot um if the water is and that's and that's if the air is saturated so the, the air becomes saturated which is a term that basically means if you add any more water vapor to it, it will condense out. The water can't, the air can't sus like uh, suspend any more water in it. And that's um, what we do. So here I am. 100% humidity. Yeah, which is which is the yeah. relative humidity because there's absolute humidity, which is the total amount of water, and then there's the relative humidity, which is how much, like what percentage uh, of our way towards saturation are we? So I'm in the jungle. It's really really hot. It's you know approaching 100% humidity. And so when I sweat, does that mean that? Yeah. So this is one of the reasons why um, high humidity is really unpleasant, because the the ability of your body to sweat depends on there being it's the difference in humidity between your skin, basically, like the water on your skin and the water that's suspended in the air. So if there's water, if the air around you is basically saturated, then you you will sweat, but it won't drop uh, evaporate, evaporate and take heat yeah. away with you with it even so you won't cool down you'll just keep sweating and sweating and it will all so, pull on your skin and you'll just be dripping in sweat yeah um but of course if you get beyond the saturation point then you start getting water condensing into liquid form um and there are and the the key thing to remember about what's called the dew point which is the point at which like you know the water becomes saturated in a given parcel of air is that it's pressure and temperature dependent so if you change the pressure if you change the temperature you can take a volume of air that is saturated and push it past the dew point at which point water will condense out so like is it hot air into a cold day yeah exactly so if you increase the pressure do you meet do you allow more water to be stored in that air before it saturates Yes. And, and like so what you would often see is moisture laden air that's evaporating off from the surface, say at the tropics, will ascend because it's less dense. And so eventually it will hit an altitude where the pressure is low enough or the temperature is low enough that it will start condensing the water vapor that was previously just a gas into the liquid water droplets. And that's when you form a cloud. Does, does the... Um if you've got air filled with a load of water molecules bouncing around does the real does the reason that as you get lower pressure it's going to start to condense out is because of like the kinetic energy of the molecules like it's got less to bounce around against I th it's something like that together this is when you run into discussion of stuff like the gibbs free energy and i haven't covered this Ooh. in my degree for Ooh. so long yeah that's <laughs> when this is when you actually get to like really kind of interesting thermodynamic relationships between between variables that you just don't normally see like the enthalpy or the gibbs energy or, or whatever um but yes it's something to do i think with the distribution of kinetic energy basically so here i am in my D and D world right firing a, a sort of pellet at this this zombie not zombie and so I always assumed that it would have to be a sort of of steam or smoke or something. But you're saying that actually a way of getting that cloud to instantaneously appear might be to do a low pressure spike in the area, which massively decreases the pressure. And then all of the water just pushes out into. So you, there's, yeah. there's two ways of doing it. I think that's one way of doing it. I actually think the easier way of doing it that would also more closely describe the spell, because if you did create a low pressure, things would be sucked into that area. You know, you create a <laughs> yes, that also would happen. <laughs> hug towards that area. So, um, what I I would propose is that you actually have a, a canister or something that you throw, and then that explodes and distributes really cold, tiny particles. So you chill the air over a large area, reduce the temperature of the air, and then cause all the water vapor to condense. 
And so, it, but that's not the same as seeding, like cloud seeding. Or is yeah, it? that's yeah. what I thought you were going to. So cloud seeding is something a little bit different. Cloud seeding is where you have an existing cloud and you want that cloud to rain out. You start the process of precipitation falling from that cloud because it's quite possible for water vapor, so water in liquid form to be suspended as droplets and not precipitate. It requires certain conditions and certain internal processes to happen that cause this kind of a self-sustaining uh, kind of phenomenon, self-sustaining reaction um, that causes the water to fall out in heavy droplets. And so what cloud seeding is, is you put something like silver iodide in the inputs to the cloud, like the updraft into it, that then acts as a way of, um, uh, like typically it's nucleation. Oh no, it's happening. Oh, sorry. It is oh. happening. It's happening. Hang on. Wait, it's happening. I'm here. Don't leave small me. Small internet issues causing Ali to no, there panic aren't. slightly. Don't just don't say it. If you don't say worry, it. Ali, I've got you covered. Let me. There you go. Are you just going to dump just... me out the chair? <laughs> um, oh, I'm back now. No, it's... sometimes it's like I can still hear him. Um, <laughs> So that, what was you're going to open about? your window in the morning and it's just going to be that bear's face outside your bedroom. Oh. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, <laughs> um, oh, Bates is in the chat. Ah! Bates, don't look behind you. Emily, <laughs> don't look behind you. <laughs> Whatever you do. Bates um, has been uh, listening in, I think. <laughs> so... Um, so yeah, basically, yeah, cloud seeding is where you change the inputs into the cloud. You, you, you kick off that internal process of stuff starting to fall out of it. But you don't create the cloud yourself. Because normally what you do with cloud seeding is you take it. Wait, 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 the contrail thing, there's no cloud before, there's cloud after. Ex riddle me that, Mr. Science. Is so that the same way, thing? Yeah, so, so plane contrails um, are flying in, typically this will be like in the upper troposphere rather than the stratosphere, because if they're in the stratosphere, there's not much moisture to begin with. But if you're in the troposphere, you're in an environment where there is water vapor present, but it's not at the dew point, so it's not forming a cloud. Um, and what uh, what happens is when a uh, jet flies through, the uh, what's the the exhaust from the engines is hot, so you think that it would actually make it um, able to sustain more water vapor, because that's one of the things, one of the relationships. The warmer the air is, the more moisture it can hold, which is why climate change is a bit of a problem. Because the warmer the air gets, the more moisture it can hold overall. Water is a greenhouse gas, and it's a positive feedback. Uh, and it, but there are negative ones to counter it. It's fine. Well, it's not fine. It's very much not fine. Anyway, going back to the, the contrails. Um, so the, the exhaust from the plane also has partially burned jet fuel in it, um, which can melt steel beams. Just to, to head off that <laughs> question of the pass, Ali. Oh, and the, jet, the, the partially burned jet fuel acts as nucleation points that the water vapor, there's enough water vapor present to nucleate and create those little liquid droplets that will form a cloud. So does that mean if I'm getting rained on from a plane, then I am jet fuel in the rain. It, yeah, I'm getting jet fueled. So it won't be. It, I, I don't think those clouds precipitate. I think because they're well, even if they did, the water the water that fell from them as raindrops would would pass through so much atmosphere that they would evaporate on the way to the ground. I would be pretty. And also, actually, if they're that high up, they would probably be ice crystals anyway, because they would be at the upper part of the troposphere where it's much much colder. So you would cause the water vapor to precipitate. Uh, well, not precipitate, sorry, nucleate. Uh, but then because it's so cold, it wouldn't be water, liquid water, it'd be solid water. And so you'd get ice condensation. Can I uh, ask, so there, there's sort of two things that, that are sort of like seeding or, or, or nucleation. So first off, if you introduce a sort of nucleation point in uh, like humid air, little droplets of water or maybe ice crystals can form around it, which w could be visible as a cloud. Hmm. And that's at any level. So you could be on the ground and that could happen. Yeah, but I think in order to create the, um, I, I think 
if you're near to the ground, you'd have to be very near the dew point to begin with. I think one of the reasons that it works in the, in the upper atmosphere is because the pressure is lower. You're probably relatively close to that, new, that, that dew point anyway. And is the other thing you were saying that if you've got a pre-existing cloud and you introduce like nucleation points that you can make it rain? Yes, which is how it's normally. But and, and the way that that normally works is you make it rain in order to get rid of the rain before a big event. Like I'm pretty sure before the 2008 Olympics, they cloud seeded around Beijing so that there Actually. wouldn't be rain on the day. And it's, you, get, you can pay people to do it for your wedding. Like there, there are literally oh, services thanks. where you can get people to, oh yeah, we'll, we'll send a plane up or, or we'll send a, a rocket or a balloon or something up and seed the clouds around the area. I'm sorry, I've been super slow. Um, so what Shams, what you were saying was that basically you, there's two jobs for seeding. One is to make cloud, one is to make cloud rain. And then, and but so it's all down to- But when talk about seeding, they mean the second one usually. But it's so actually you you have a huge amount of control if you can just seed in the correct way, if you're excuse. Uh, yes, but it's difficult to predict what's going to happen because it's, it's like it's a fluid process. I'm very fucking it. Sorry. I mean, so, so but, but the thing is, when when uh, like you're talking about weather manipulation, I think it's really important to kind of couch a lot of statements in this is the theory, but the reality often doesn't bear up with the theory because so, it's so, so complicated. If, if I have a party and I send I send my mates up with their plane, is that does it work? Is that uh, good? It can work, but but then you also have to consider the the potential knock-on effects of if you cause precipitation to all fall in a, in like the local area, that's going to influence all the uh weather like the weather system that you are in and you could potentially uh you know entrain more water vapor to fill in the gap and so you might actually end up with more rain in the future. But that's after my party, so... Yeah, but, it'd be, it'd be, yeah, if you want to take that attitude. But the thing is, this has been weaponized. Um, there, there, was in, uh, there was a thing called Project Popeye in the Vietnam War where the Americans tried to use this as a weapon, which is one of the wilder bits of military history. Wait, um, what, by making it rain? So the problem with fighting in Vietnam was it's a guerrilla you know, campaign. Um, they weren't fighting guerrillas, chat. They were fighting guerrilla fighters which comes from the Spanish meaning little war, you know, it should be guerrilla. Uh, anyway, um, etymology episode, everyone. <laughs> um, so the, the, like, the thing with the guerrilla conflict is that they could just melt into the jungle and they were being resupplied through these secret pathways that were too small to be seen. Um, you couldn't bomb them. You know, they were trying to fight an unconventional enemy, basically. So what they tried to do was seed clouds to extend the monsoon season over Vietnam that would create so much rain that it would wash away the um, what was called the Ho Chi Minh Trail. So the thing that was actually resupplying them from like Laos and Cambodia. So there'd be just so much rain that they wouldn't be able to be resupplied, um, which I don't think really worked. Um, no, they just How would you know if it had then, worked or not though? Because well, I mean, they lost the war quite, yeah. quite spectacularly. In that sense, it really didn't work, I suppose, but. Um, but uh, and also it's illegal now. They actually uh, there's the I had to look this up. The UN Convention on the Prohibition of Military or any other hostile use of environmental modification techniques, wow. which bans weather modification for warfare in 1977. So you can do it for a wedding, but not for a war. <laughs> just, that doesn't seem right. Really cool. I, it, it somehow worries me that you could just manipulate the entire weather of an area. Like, yeah, but I mean, I think, like, but, but this is this is like the U.S. flying like uh, I don't know what it would it probably super fortresses or something, you know, over like a huge part of a country and just being like, yeah, clouds, everyone, clouds, like, and it's it's like just such a different scale compared to potentially doing it for a party. But the other thing was the even more crazy one that they tried to do in peacetime uh, was in the. I think it was the 70s. I didn't write down a date for, date for this, which was new to me, called Project Storm Fury, which is his actual cool. name. I like it. Not a Games Workshop title, US government project. Um, and basically what they tried to do was to uh, make hurricanes weaker by throwing in cloud seeding techniques and trying to remove as much water that was held in the storm as possible. And then also, you know, by, by latent heat fluxes and, you know, caused by precipitation happening, you would raise the pressure in the center of the storm um, and make it less destructive, make it less intense. That's good. Wait, so, did that uh, work? That's great. Uh, no, it didn't work. <laughs> since, we're, since we're talking about, do you know anything about um, the current 
ideas about releasing all shiny bits into the atmosphere to reflect the sun. Oh. Of... oh, Ali. <laughs> Why would you? You come to me on the day we talk about weddings. <laughs> yes, um, that's that's the thing we can talk about if you want, but I, it's a fucking Pandora's box of consequences, let me tell you. Ooh, that sounds pretty good. I mean, uh, can you just 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 tell me tell me something? Give me something. Right. So, so what Ali's talking about is a, is a process called uh, solar radiation management, uh, and th this basically that makes it sound way more evil. I mean, like... it really does. Um, so, so you know the episode of The Simpsons where Mr. Burns just blots out the sun. It's basically that. Um, uh, and the idea is that if you have a planet that is warming because you have too much energy, well, the same amount of energy coming in from the sun and less energy being radiated out to space by the Earth, it's terraforming. You limit it the amount of energy. Yeah, okay, you, but you okay. limit the amount of energy that comes in uh, from from the sun by putting mirrors in space. So you could put mirrors in space. You could uh, like one proposal is you paint all of the paint, uh, the rooftops white. white. Which That's is like, important for for reducing urban heat as well. But, but yeah, but on a, on a global works. climate perspective, it's like trying to stop a runaway train by pissing on it. Like the the, the amount of force applied is pissing on it in the correct direction, you're pissing on the side. Like yeah. what, are you, what are you doing? Now you're just going to get hit by a wet runaway train. <laughs> So it's a terrible, that, that's a great metaphor because it's a terrible idea. Um, the most common approach that, that's, that, that's um, sorry, the, mo the most common idea that's suggested is something called stratosphere aerosol injection, um, which is basically where you put stuff up in the stratosphere and instead of being large mirrors, you put particles like uh, sulfur dioxide or uh, titanium oxide, which is what makes the M's on M&M's white. It's a food really? additive that's really white. Yeah. Um, but I it, you, you used lead. No, we're not Roman. No, Roman m &Ms. They only sell those in the Vatican, that technique, because they're still Roman Catholics. Um, the, more, the old ways are the best uh, ways. And basically, yeah, you put a whole bunch of shit up in the stratosphere that is reflective and you reduce the amount of energy that comes in. In principle, great idea. But great, um, love it. Let's do it. from a biodiversity... <laughs> yes, it's the albino effect, Emily! He's <laughs> <laughs> in chat shouting at me. Yeah. Um, yes. Also, to answer another question from Twitch chat, that is specifically who shot Mr. Burns Part One, um, that the the solar blotting out is in. <laughs> um, so the reason it's a terrible idea is, first of all, um, there are there's not one but two kinds of sunlight. There is direct sunlight and um, oh, I see sunlight. where this is going. Uh, and you're increasing the amount of diffuse sunlight, but decreasing the amount of direct sunlight by putting a whole load of stuff up in the stratosphere. That That's a fine. problem because different species of plants use those different types of sunlight to different extents in their photosynthesis oh. because they can penetrate different parts of leaves. Oh. What? But you so, can't be getting rid of wow. that much of it that it's going to hurt the plants, can it? Is well, the problem is, is oh. you're going to favour a certain kind of plant, right? Like, so you'll lose some, but others will be like, yeah, I love it. Japanese yeah. knotweed is going to be and, like, and, yes. But consider the fact that you're destabilising. Like, yes. If, if you destabilise the biodiversity of, let's say, for example, the Amazon in the news <laughs> at the moment. Like, if you, if you change how much photosynthesis takes place in the Amazon, and maybe some species start thriving and some species start to perish, um, you fundamentally change the amount of moisture that is being put up into the atmosphere through transpiration. Mm, and wise. that can potentially change precipitation patterns across <gasps> Africa, across North America. Oh, okay, okay, okay. No. So without going down the biodiversity route, which I would like to go down at some stage, back to the, back to the seeding thing, if you bung a load of titanium oxide up in the stratosphere, was it? Then mm -hmm. are you going to see clouds? Or is it that you said the stratosphere doesn't have any moisture <clears> in it anyway, so you probably wouldn't? Yeah. So <clears throat> one of the reasons you put them in the stratosphere is because there's no water vapor or barely any. In, in energetic cloud tops, you do get some moisture that gets put up. Um, so you is, that, is that the cumulonimbus, like the top of the big... Yeah, so when you... This is one of my favorite facts about the atmosphere. Cumulonimbus clouds are, have an anvil top because that the, the top represents the boundary between the troposphere and the stratosphere. Because the thing about the stratosphere is you can't propagate vertically. Like vertical motion is almost completely shut down. So when all this water vapor, this air with water vapor comes shooting up from the troposphere, it finds this layer like a force field that it just can't penetrate. So it balloons out to the sides, carrying cloud with it. So when you look oh, at the top... Oh, is it so, like... 
Yeah. So the reason it's so flat on top is because that's the that's the boundary of the troposphere. But how is the boundary so like clearly delineated? Distinct. Yeah. Because the def- the defining characteristic of the stratosphere relative to the troposphere is that it gets warmer with altitude. So in the troposphere, the higher you go, the colder it gets. Whereas in the stratosphere, you actually stay the same temperature for a bit, and then you get warmer as you get higher and higher. This is to do with the pressure. Well, uh, the pressure is related to it, but basically, the, without going into the full derivation, uh, what that means is that if you take an air parcel and in the stratosphere and you try to move it above you, no matter what you do, it's always going to end up being more dense than its sorry, yeah, more dense than its surroundings, which means that it will always sink back down. So I guess what I'm I'm wondering is that. Um... So, because it, it looks so linear, right? Is it that actually going up gets slower and slower and slower and slower and slower and slower as you approach that line? And that line just happens to be the moment where the velocity upwards equals zero. Or is it like it's going perfectly normal up to this and then it actually just wangs up against a... Yeah, it's the latter. It's, it's, a, it's a really That's sharp crazy. boundary. Yeah, which is why I find them so beautiful to look at. But, but sometimes in those really flat tops, you'll find little bulgy bits, which is where there's been enough kinetic energy and like a really energetic cloud uh that the water vapor is punched up slightly into the stratosphere which is where the like a geezer const- yeah kind of like a ge- but like it's constantly being pushed back to, like it, it has to be really energetic to get above that threshold so it just bubbles up a bit and then it would be distributed across the stratosphere because the other thing so I, I said that one of the reasons you put it in the stratosphere is you don't have to worry about the seeding of clouds the other thing is that because there's basically no vertical motion, almost all motion takes place on flat surfaces. Um, so if you put something up there, it gets distributed around the world and takes a really long time to actually fall back out. Um, it gets it will fall back out by going along uh, basically like sloping surfaces towards the poles, called isentropic surfaces, um, that will put it back in the troposphere at certain heights. Um, that made it sound a lot more complicated than it actually is. Um, but like, which is the exact opposite of what I should be doing. Um, <laughs> But Just let you know, live a little side. So this is this is like, wait, why is it bad to put all the shiny titanium oxide in the in the? Because yeah, it ain't going to come down out, is it? Well, it well, will do come, come down. So, so, so the to... analogy to this is, the, the analogy to this is um, volcanic eruptions. So mm-hmm. when Mount Pinatubo erupted in 1991, it was uh, so powerful that it injected a bunch of sulfur dioxide, like sulfuric acid, in droplet form, into the stratosphere because the plume from the volcano was powerful enough that it kind of punched in and it stayed oh, up there. That it got and oh, it that's freaking up. awesome! And then it, but then it stuck around for about 18 months and it lowered the average temperature of the Earth by about, I think it was like 0.8 Kelvin, so like 0.8 Celsius, um, which over the course of the, over a whole planet is huge. Like it was a really sharp change in the temperature record. And you see it after big volcanic eruptions in the past. Um, and, um, you know, so, so there is a life cycle. There's a, like a, uh, half-life even for this stuff to come out of the stratosphere the problem is if you get the earth used to a certain level of shininess in the stratosphere then you have to maintain that density of stuff in the stratosphere By the earth used to, do you mean can i just ask like what so, so, so uh, what i mean is like so that you balance like the energy equation so that the earth is emitting as much energy into space as it is receiving from the sun so you don't have any warming I've got then, someone wants to get into the Zoom meeting. I think it must be a mistake. I feel like <laughs> oh, I don't know how to respond to this. Uh, I, the I bear has worked out how to in. use the keyboard. Is this what we want? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Hello, everyone. Yes. <laughs> oh, double bass. Oh, I don't have my headphones. Oh, wow. Oh. All good. Oh. Single right. bass. Hi, everyone. How are we talking about? about- Come down. We've been God, talking so about velvety. Hi, Twitch. I'm a got a bit of a horse voice. I've been on a boat. I uh, got that. Oh, oh yeah. you nice. with seahorses? More of that. Been doing lots <laughs> of shouting over boat engines, and oh, it's been no. great. I've been filming in person with real people. That is cool. On a boat. Cool. I think I'm looking a little bit tanned as well, yeah. which is just excellent. So yeah, I'm in. You a look great... pretty drunk. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I haven't had a single drink, which is, oh. as we all know, rare for me. So. um no, I think it's the sea air, man. You know, just yeah. okay. <laughs> your voice is okay. I'm glad no, that you can oh. Uh, oh, can you give us a couple of like bonus? Wait, wait, I no, 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 one or two. Not, no, not the bonus. No. Don't aim for the bonus. Surely that's where you. That's the protective layer, isn't okay, it? Whoa, is, whoa, whoa! We're not doing this right now. This is a good bit for Bates to come back in on because 
it like we did we we've come up with some no (laughs) the clouds and the look we have so far discussed how clouds might be seeded or how the dew point might be achieved to get water vapor to suddenly appear such as in the dnd 5e level one spell fog cloud hey that's the spell i did oh my god you did that last session oh my god it's so relevant to our dungeons and dragons game so my question is a how how do we think that infinite sky specifically you know which one of those methods did 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 she use and how with the sort of tiny frozen nucleation points and my second question is how do you adapt for different pressure and temperature conditions to ensure that you can always cast fog cloud um purely for the sake of consistency yeah. give me 10 seconds just to wrap up what i was saying because because oh, i wouldn't okay. so basically sorry yeah you, yeah with the, solar, the bonus stuff? With, with the solar radiation <laughs> management if you get this yeah. planet to a point where it's balanced and then you stop putting stuff in the stratosphere and it all rains out suddenly you have a huge amount of warming that takes place over a really short period of time so it's like sorry Simon, i missed that oh, please say oh, it again oh, oh, okay yeah yeah so, so the whole the whole thing with with solar radiation management is that you are trying to limit the amount of energy that comes in from the sun to match the amount of energy that the earth is radiating to space because there's less radiation going out to space because we're putting CO2 in the atmosphere. So if you perfectly tweak the planet so that it's got a um, she- a shield of this stuff limiting the amount of energy that comes in, if you take that shield away, which means stop putting more stuff into the atmosphere, because if you want to do this, you have to do it forever, then um, suddenly, over the course of perhaps a couple of years, you're going to revert from being perfectly balanced to super climate change in in a way that's like, in the same way that uh, anthropogenic climate change is super fast compared to geological timescales, that process will be super fast compared to anthropogenic climate change. Um, oh, that so that's why we shouldn't do it, basically. Anyway. Wow, that was that's actually quite scary. That's like one of the scarier things that I've heard recently. The because scariest it, thing is somebody could do it today. Like, But they're going to do it, aren't they? Like, That's the sort of mad shit that... You know, there's a whole... The- there's a great chapter in, in Naomi Klein's This Changes Everything about all of this um, and how like the, the phil- not philosophical, but like mindset problems that it brings. Cause it's almost like, a, oh, we'll fix the problem in post. We'll just put aerosols in the stratosphere and we'll make it fine. Um, which means that people just keep emitting. Um, but yeah, the scariest thing is that if Bezos just, just, just decided to do it, the technology's there, it wouldn't even be that expensive. Like Musk could just decide to do this and like, how do you things. stop them doing it? It's not like you can <laughs> go around with like a basking shark in the stratosphere just sucking up. There are international laws, right? Well, yeah, but like, like technically, you you, you could just you just fire rockets space up there, space. like you know you could just have like a vigilante. This is a yeah. Bond villain plot waiting to yeah. happen. You have Musk on like one of his drone ships that so then you, just you said sends... his name twice now, once more, and he'll do it. So don't. <laughs> Sorry, do do it. Sorry, do Blood diamond money. Yeah. Uh, would could just go around on one of his ships and put like you know a rocket into the atmosphere, and then comes back down to a secret base, which then moves going from coast to coast, and he's just constantly you know seeding the stratosphere with with this stuff, and then James Bond has to try and catch him. There you go. That's that's a bomb job waiting to happen. You see if that I would like to see Daniel like Craig it. attack Elon Musk. That I would pay to see that. <laughs> no, I said his name again. Oh, ah! <laughs> you said it was that was the third time. Us. We're done. Alternatively, just eat the rich. I, I feel like um, hashtag eat the rich. <laughs> hashtag eat the rich. I was just thinking, uh, is it the Libertines that did lifestyles of the rich and famous? Uh, good Charlotte. Was it Good Charlotte? Yes, it's not the Libertines. Oh, wow, I can't sing today. (laughs) Oh, it's so husky, Bates. It's so good. But yeah, like that song, basically. I realised that that was way ahead of its time. Just like, we've got lots of problems. I think we can solve them. Think we should rob them. Just saying. Like It's it's, a great song. It's an an Eat the Rich song before it was was cool to eat the rich. (laughs) And then we'll see climate change. You've been waiting for a while to say that for me. That's been brewing. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I've been listening Sorry, to a Sean. lot of 90s punk and like 2000s stuff when I've been running. Anyway, it's just got me thinking, you know. What What were the questions that we're asking Bates? Um, now that she's here. <laughs> Bates slash Simon, who's been looking into it, which is, well, Simon, could you go over again, like how the how the fog cloud might work in our, in our D&D universe? And yes, then yes. like what the, like, are, are there any problems with that that we should- Oh yeah. And then Bates has to choose, solve. obviously, right? Well, well I mean, I, I think there's- Multiple only... choice. Well, I think the, t- the two options are basically, so, so effectively, as far as I can tell, the way to do this would that you be that you take a local environment and you bring the air to its dew point or past its dew point so that you 
form a cloud. The two ways you could do that would be reducing the pressure or reducing the temperature. Now, for my money, if you reduce the temperature, it's a better bet because it's probably a bit more resilient to different environments that you're in. Maybe you couldn't do it if it was really cold, for example, um, or if it was a very dry environment, that's another problem. Like you couldn't do this in a desert, for example. Mm. Um, but uh, if you did it uh, changing the pressure, then you would also cause a bunch of other effects which aren't described in the spell. So you cause stuff to like move towards it, like depending on how powerful the pressure, like the partial vacuum is, you could get people being sucked in towards the vortex or it could just be like, yeah. you know, not stuff ideal, just like moves near it um but uh danvi's asking how much would you need to drop the pressure to get cavitation what's cavitation i don't know i assume that was when your fillings fly out of your teeth cavitation when you've probably not that <laughs> that's just where my mind went <laughs> it looks probably Maybe. oh no my teeth <laughs> i can't see anything and all of my teeth have fallen out just as a separate as a if is fog does it have to be water? Uh, that's a good question. Do you mean? I do you mean so. like in like if we make fog, does it have to be water, or do you mean like theoretically could other liquids? I mean, is it smoke? Is it just smoke if it's not water? Well, no, because smoke is an aerosol, which is yeah. so that's different. That's that's a, a solid particulate, whereas a fog is a liquid. Are there any other liquids that will that will do that that will form? vapory little bits well yeah i mean in whiskey distilleries uh you get alcohol vapor in the atmosphere yeah. isn't so fog an aerosolized liquid right? yeah but it would well, no, but an aerosol well, i suppose do you get aerosol liquid yes you do get aerosol liquid sorry but yeah soot is a solid though rather than a liquid so there is a sort of a difference there and the particle size would be different so bates like, is your fog cloud water or is it particles of other stuff well, I mean, when I when I described it in game, I think I was thinking of it like kind of like a smoke bomb going off in my head, right? Oh, but okay. that was before I knew like the definition of fog because I didn't know that until today, really. So I think the fact it's called fog cloud, I quite like the idea that we actually go with fog rather mm -hmm. than um, rather than because like you know you could probably and, and the only other thing I was thinking about it is it lasts for I believe a minute. Mm. Yes, that makes disperses. sense. Does that work? Mm. Yeah, so you, you cause a cloud, but then depending on the strength of the wind and the local environment, it's probably just going to... And it can be dispersed by a strong breeze. So that is a thing with fog cloud. So that, that works. Yeah. So, okay. So I like so the I'd, idea of it being fog. So, so I'd say, I think the way to do it would be that you, you basically have like aerosol, and it would have to be something that's very cold and would have a high heat capacity. So it takes a lot of energy out of the environment to warm up. Um, so, you, you know, you, you throw a bomb that explodes and it disperses these ultra cold particles. Sorry, not ultra cold. That's like zero Kelvin, but like, you know, pretty cold particles that then yeah. massively reduce the local temperature and cause nucleation of, of a cloud. But, you know, but aren't cold enough to do actual cold damage. Yes. So you could also, I mean, you could say that they're too small to do that. Maybe. I don't know. You're the rules. I man. mean, it can yeah. also. It can last up to an hour. It's concentration up to. Was oh, it an hour? hour? I think. Yeah. To an hour. You could explain that with local environment. You know, if, if there was a, a vortex keeping it in place. You know, if there was a circulation going around the cloud. Ooh, that I, like keep that. It... I know this is super yeah, boring. But how's that happen? Yeah, it's super boring. But can you not just aerosolize a load of water from a can or something? Won't that give you the same effect if it's a big can? Uh... Wouldn't it coming out of the can change the pressure of it? Because it would be leaving the high pressure environment. Into but the key thing is, you're put, you're also putting it into an environment in which you haven't hit the dew point yet. Like you'd just be making you. What you do is saturate the water in the air, and then, the, the like more water would just come out as liquid. You know, it would just immediately condense out. I think. Mm. I think you'd actually have to take the local environment and change the temperature or the pressure such that it hits its dew point. I think. Wait, Hans, you can't reach the dew point by adding water. You have to reach the dew point by changing the temperature of the pressure. Yeah. Because you can't understand. add any you can't add any more water. It's the same with the sweating. If it's at 100% humidity, you can't add water and make it condense out. It just doesn't evaporate. It's just uh, water. Right, so it would just be like a pfft, you'd just be squirting a stream of water out. You'd be of weeing your... at a train. Yeah, weeing out your camp. Be like, oh, yeah. this is this fog spell, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. has... You can't see me! <laughs> <laughs> you just 
missing <laughs> in that general direction from a cat. Get him in the eyes! Is it, I feel like it's useful for us because Braxagantu, or certainly where we are on it, is canonically like a little bit hot and humid and tropical-y. Have I got that right? Is mm, it it's cold. Oh, it's cold. No, it's it's cold. wet that. and cold. Oh. Okay, it's lush. Oh, it's like it's Scotland. Lush. That's why everyone's like Scottish. Conifers, it's like, like Oregon. Ah, uh, okay. Oregon. I Oregon's like. I've, I've been, been there. Never. It's like Scotland. Like Scotland, great. Like Scotland. Which is why everyone has a Scottish accent, apart from yeah. one person. <laughs> apart from that, who one you did not person. talk to and will never appear again. So uh, that storyline, well, Dustin. Your problem, not ours. <laughs> I mean, it is. Yes. <laughs> Sounds like a you problem. Wait, he says this is fine. He says crying, word. shredding the notes. <laughs> yes, like exactly. Goodbye, that, character sheet. <laughs> Significantly not Scottish guard who is really suspiciously not Scottish and very calm. Yeah, yeah. There's been a couple of not Scottish people I was actually. Say, I just not interested. They were all suspicious. <laughs> I, well, I'm in. Charmony is interested. Hembris wants to go to the woods or not. You know, there's other things. Everyone's been a bit suspicious though. So, like, I so many clues and like hints and. Oh. The two guards that were by that gate. One was dwarven. Yeah. And one, one was, was an elf. elf. Well, whatever well, uh, elf yeah. equivalent Sorry, in our elf. and dwarf equivalent in our. I just like I don't know. I, I now have my, my head cannon is <laughs> like Gimli and Legolas. Box. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I never <laughs> thought I'd die <laughs> protecting a gate with an elf. <laughs> what about a friend? <laughs> Fuck off. Aww. Are we gonna die? <laughs> they were lovely. We it was so nonplussed with a zombie attack happening. Oh, right? Sorry, we, also, we keep calling them guards. We don't know that they were guards. No, that's true. They were just Ali didn't by say guards. Did he not? <laughs> we there said two guards. people standing by a gate. And people by yeah. a gate. We, we made assumptions. Yeah. Oops. Assumptions were made. That's true. <laughs> my but... my biggest thing from that episode is the fact that I saw all of the like filings inside that no guy. <laughs> yeah. Like there's nothing there, and I was like, okay, there's nothing there, <laughs> and uh, yeah. We're not good with fleshy things, all right? Fleshy things. Speaking of which, testicle pain. So, were you? Did you oh, want to do really some of this today? Okay. Professionals. No. Well, no, we don't have to. We've been going for over so, an hour now. Bates, yeah, you've you've prepped a bunch of stuff. I reckon two yeah. weeks time on the on the next D and D brief, we have a lot of fun chat about testicle pain. Would be my proposal. There is some cool. I know everyone wants to know the answer of whether it could knock you unconscious. I can give you <laughs> the brief answer to that. No, no, no. Try no, save us, it. Can you save give us the it. boxer answer? It's complicated. Oh. Yes. Oh. Oh. Yes. I, yeah, I, I just got it. here. Oh, we're glad. We're glad you made it, Bates. We're did very you glad miss to have me? you. We did. It was. It, it was a little there bit was chaotic. Something strange happening. It, yeah, it didn't. We couldn't really keep on track without you. I'm it turns out. Surprised, I'm the one who supposedly keeps us on track because that doesn't right? seem right. I was no. like, no, I've got this. I can. Oh. Do these people. And it was like, no, no, you can't. Turns out. Have you? Did you do a nice intro for the podcast? Yes, it was beautiful. Yes, good. Did we? I did. I yes, we did. We absolutely I, I, did. I did it all nice. Whatever you say, podcast. Hashtag professional. Hashtag, Hashtag professional. Come on, just give us something, Bates. Come on, give us just a little, uh, just just a tip, just a tip. Just just tip. Tease the testicles. Um, um, what? I haven't even got my notes open for it. What the main thing that sort of came about in my research was like the different types of going unconscious. Um, so it comes down to that. That's what all I'm going to say. I'm going to, we're just going to. That's so interesting. That's really interesting. Because people in films are always getting knocked out. And I'm always mm -hmm. like, don't do that. Like I was watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. today and she whacked him on the back of the head. And I was like, I mean, I know you're a biologist, but you could yeah, so kill him. I when I was looking right. into it, because I was like, Kill right, someone. in D&D, &D, you go unconscious before you die, right? Yeah. yeah. Almost always. Yeah. So uh, unless like ridiculous amounts of damage, in which case it's fairly obvious that you'd just die. Um, and so I was sort of looking into like states where you'd be going to that level of mm. nearly dying, but mm. then not necessarily nearly, not actually mm. dying. And then obviously we said non-lethal damage. So I was like, oh, that's interesting. So there's a difference there. And Am I right um, in saying that the reason that you get, mm. when you're hit in the head, the reason you're knocked out is because the brain physically hits against the skull. Mm. Can be. That's what I Can understand, be. but I've never actually that's questioned that. one. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, oh my God. 
yeah, also, there's, a, there's quite a lot of it. It's, it's fun. It's interesting. Uh, um, so you hit something. someone in the ball so hard that their brain hits against their skull. Yeah, you create a wave in their body. Oh. You get so much whiplash from, from being oh. hit in the ball. Um, Cass, your very interesting comment. There is some stuff about that, but it's it's like a about what? dive. What was the comment? Um, what? So, <laughs> so last, last week, Cass said that um, because she's transitioning, um, she has found that she's immune. Previously, uh, she would have uh, felt empathetic pain when watching a guy getting kneed in the balls. But now she doesn't have that. What? So is this psychology? Is this physiology? Yes. Is that a real thing? This empathetic pain thing? I just thought it was just a... I don't know. I just thought you were ha hamming it up the whole time. So there's stuff on the empathetic pain of people being ham, kicked in the balls. Like... Um, I didn't find any specific examples, Cass, of what you were mentioning. So actually, maybe we should have a chat before next week and uh, go into a bit more detail. So before we wrap up today, though, I did want to bring up... So something that we talked about in the last oh, wow. D&D brief that um, we... Uh, somebody linked me to this, and I can't remember who it was, unfortunately. Mm. Uh, we talked about how I dreamt in code, and yes. other people came yes, forward like with that. this uh, similar experience. And there is something that is called the Tetris effect. We were, I know, we were talking about Tetris, and um, yeah, someone someone tweeted at us. Um, yeah, it was exactly um, what we were talking about. And and to quote to quote the Wikipedia here, uh, people who have played Tetris for a prolonged amount of time can find themselves thinking about ways different shapes in the real world can fit together, such as boxes in a supermarket shelf or buildings on a street. They may see coloured images of pieces falling into place on an invisible layout on the edges of their visual fields. They may see coloured moving images when they're asleep, which is a form of hypnagogic imagery. Um, and it's like famously this happened with Tetris because it, it was just an obsession for people. But it seems like it can happen with pretty much any repetitive visual task. I, I get it with games if I tasks. play them too much. I just see myself playing them as important. Computer games is a common one, but yeah. interesting real world examples was Rubik's Cubes. Um, apparently competitive Rubik's Cubes, Cubers find themselves going through solutions. They're insane. Those videos mm. of kids just being like looking at it and then just going and it's done. And I'm like, how, how, how? Hold up. So actually, all those examples you've just given, they're games, right? Or, or essentially they're puzzle solving, right? With yeah. various amounts of reward attached to them. They need a lot them. of focus mm -hmm. and they're And actual. what that would suggest is that if that's analogous to dreaming in code, that, that when you approach code, essentially what you're doing is you're doing puzzle solving, right? Yeah. Rather than natural language processing, which would make sense because they'd use the, the coding. Yes. Coding uses the part of the brain, which is actually also employed for solving high level puzzles. And the Total reward fit. system is the, is like the dopamine hit of being correct and getting everything. Because with the code, it has to be absolutely correct, or it does program work. running right. That would be the yeah. hit. And which so, is presumably, you know, why it's so crippling when it doesn't run because you're expecting the dopamine rush and you don't get it, which is the worst thing. Oh, there's sorry, there's a, a line here which I didn't notice before, and this is a really famous example from the history of maths. Mathematicians have reported dreaming of numbers or equations such as. Um, Oh God, I can never pronounce his first name. Srinivasa Ramunajan or Friedrich Engel, Engels, who remarked, quote, last week in a dream, I gave a chap my shirt buttons to differentiate and he ran off with them. Like people could be so into their maths because Ramunajan famously came up with these uh, proofs in dreams or he had like the end result handed to him in a dream and then he worked backwards from it. Like, so presumably it's like, that was, that was like dreaming in computer code before computer code was really a thing. Like there's the oh, also there's, the guy oh. who uh, worked out benzene structure. Yeah, Mr. Benzene. And he yeah. supposedly oh. had a dream about a snake biting its tail and he went, it's a circle. Mm. And oh, my voice. Same <laughs> with PCR. The guy had a dream about some sort of um, like, uh, you know, thistles with the, that down in a field. And he was walking through and there was these thistles thistled down everywhere. And he was like, wait, that's got something to do with the answer. But I How can't does see that why. have something to do with PCR? Because, oh, fuck you, Bates. Um, <laughs> Sorry for asking an obvious question. I apologize. <laughs> it, it is, there is a reason, and I have forgotten. Because like you are, because you're splinter. surrounding the DNA, yeah. the DNA string with just shitloads of the nucleotides that it could use, and then right, they just right, right. sort of attach as they go. Yeah, I yeah. Think. Okay. Oh, there's a fat. Sorry, I, I'll stop. This will be the last thing I read from this article. There's another great example here. <laughs> Um, the earliest example that relates to a computer game of this effect was from a game called Space War, which was 
looks like it's played on an old-fashioned CRT screen. It was like a circular thing. It looks a bit like asteroids, basically. Um, and there's a quote here that says, uh, one of the top players in the world, basically, realized that he had this effect one night when he went home. And as he stepped off the train, he looked up into the sky and he saw a meteor and he instantly swiveled and grabbed for a controller <laughs> to shoot down the meteor. That's fun. Which is like, how? I mean, especially if you're the first oh. person to have felt that way. I mean, apparently people have previously felt it with, uh, yeah, Rubik's Cubes or uh, Jigsaws. But to it's have that so with a video muscles. game, that's, yeah. How crazy is that? That's awesome. I love that. I mean, I don't like that my brain just starts like playing games by itself without me really telling it to. But, um... Fine, but I think we've got so much more to chat about that as well, because... Obviously, we're talking about, you know, the kind of links between mind and machine and all this kind of stuff. Mm. And where does the boundaries and all this kind of shit. This is super interesting. And dreams mm -hmm. as well, obviously. <gasps> I had a dream. dream. Did I have a dream? Did I have a dream? Wait, you what happened? When did you have a dream? In the, in, the, in the episode in when I was I like mean? doing my rebooting, like my, yeah. my long rest, um, Ali described like this beautiful vista and one would call it a dream. But uh, I love, I love dreams of D and D. I love it. I mean, I if you it. were to if you were to create an artificial life form, surely you would want it to dream in order to get some of these. You know, is is dreaming a fundamental part of Sword being human? The... Oh, dear there's God, a lot of this is awesome. There's so much stuff <laughs> with like emotions as well because obviously we're talking about her as an AI and then getting to a point where the AI clearly some somehow has emotions. So what's the suppressor's broken. Oh. It's Did like a actually a robot. Before. Maybe I'm not. It's like the opposite of um, the film where he's actually a robot. Oh, Bicentennial Man? No, the one where everyone's a secret robot. Um, Blade Runner. Blade Runner. Blade Runner. Blade Runner. Hey, hey, Blade 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 Runner. Runner. <laughs> Everyone's a robot. <laughs> They're not. That's not a spoiler for Blade Runner. I haven't seen Blade Runner. It's yet another film that I haven't watched. Emily, so. watch films! I do! I just don't watch good ones. What is wrong with you? Into the jungle, obviously. Um, I think we should probably wrap up there um, for more science and Dungeons and Dragons, or Dungeons and Dragons of Science, as the show is in fact called. Uh, well, science and Dragons and Dungeons. Dra dragons of Science and Dungeons. Dungeons. It's the Law and Order show. It's the please, yeah, please follow us on all the socials. Please keep listening slash watching. Show us your support. We're having a great time. We hope you are too. And we will see you next week. Bye for now. Bye for now. Bye.